Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity, your host, and today, coming from recently Los Angeles, previously New York, we have Larine Chaudhuri. She's a passionate and dedicated woman committed to, make, to making a positive impact in the world. With over two decades of experience in the field of education, she has emerged as a driving force for transformative change. From her early days as a math teacher to her leadership roles in undeserved schools, Narin has tirelessly worked toward creating lasting improvements in the lives of her students and the education system as a whole. As a proud founder of Unstressified LLC, a stress management coaching and consulting company, Narin's mission is to empower individuals and organizations to achieve greater well-being and conquer stress. Through personalized coaching, thought-provoking workshops, and captivating speaking engagements, she strives to facilitate sustainable change that promote healthier and more balanced lifestyles. Her expertise extends to both the individual and organizational levels, ensuring comprehensive support for optimal well-being. Having recently relocated from New York to Los Angeles in 2019, Narin finds fulfillment in her work and personal pursuits. In her free time, she embraces the importance of self-care by, by engaging in workouts, exploring new activities, and savoring enriching conversations over delightful meals. Join Narin Chaudhuri on her journey as she continues to inspire and uplift others, fostering a world where every individual can strive and find harmony in their lives. Welcome, Narin. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited. Me too. Thank you for having me. So, Narin, as we are on Real Talk Real Women, we dare to break the silence around abuse because we can be absolutely amazing women and amazing people and sometimes hide the worst of the worst. That happens quite often. And the only way I found to address that issue is to actually dare to speak up first because we have healed from that. And because we have healed from the abuse, we are able to talk about it freely. What kind of abuse did you overcome in your life? Yeah, I appreciate this um, setting to do that um, because even though the abuse, which I experienced in romantic relationships, namely starting my marriage, um, it took me over 10 years to heal. And I feel like I finally am in a place where I can speak aloud about it um, because most people don't know what happened, even though they know that my marriage is over. Um, I got married in my 20s and um, you know, I grew up in a community. I was born in New York and first generation. And my parents came from Bangladesh. And we have a community of Bengalis and a very loving home. Um, but I was very sheltered in terms of I didn't know that this stuff existed. I didn't know about abuse. I didn't know about red flags. And I grew up with like you know, people I called aunties and uncles. I mean, it was a strong community, lots of love. And, you know, there was a boy who, and I ended up dating him and falling in love. And it was wonderful, uh, picture perfect. But 
once we started to date and we got engaged, I mean, I knew that he had a big personality and he would get upset when, um, let's say his team lost or he was hungry or something like that, which I thought was kind of cute. And I was very timid at the time. I was very quiet, um, couldn't really speak up. But then I started to realize, like, it's not cute anymore when the um, anger was directed at me. And it got worse and worse. It got, it started escalating. Now, I was a girl who grew up in a very loving home, and my father's never raised his voice at me. Um, my mother hasn't. Anytime we had any conflict or any, anytime they had to, like, talk to me about something, we sat down and talked, talked it out. So this was very new, and I also felt very ashamed. Um, so anyway, uh, at one point I did uh, break off the engagement. I was like, I can't like live like this. How is this going to happen? But also, it was like a lot of pressure from the community. I had to get married. Like, what would people say? I mean, you live up a certain standard, right? You grow up, and um, in first generation, like, we had this expectation we'd be a doctor, pharmacist, engineer, right? Which I was already a black sheep because I went to pharmacy school and then like I left it and wanted to be a teacher. So I was a little bit rebellious at that point. So that was already bad. And now I was like, okay, I'm doing the right thing by marrying someone Bengali. And so now it's like this expectation of like being this Bengali wife and that's all I knew, and I was happy about it. It's not like I was, like, being forced or anything. I mean, that's how I was. I lived my life, knowing that I would be a wife, and I was grateful for that. So I ended up getting married, and it, it continued. And even, like, you know, we had this amazing wedding, and it, the festivities lasted a, a month. And even on our wedding day, the main day, um, there was a lot of screaming and not just on him, but on his parents' part. And I cried and my parents said to me, are you sure you want to get married? And my sister too. And I was like, yeah, I have to go through with this. It almost felt like this was the expectation. I have to do it, right? I just felt like, how could I not, right? How could I not go through with it? Um, but I didn't feel good. I didn't feel right. I wasn't, I wasn't happy. You know, I didn't feel like the way a bride should feel. And about a week later, we still continued the festivities. A week later, we had a big, a, another reception, the last one. And right before that, in the bridal suite, I was, I was waiting for, you know, my hair person and the makeup artist. Um, you know, he physically hurt me again. And this was the second time. One was before. Again, I almost like I was so ashamed I couldn't talk about it. And now again. And so I had to go to the reception. And it was like I had to almost dissociate because I couldn't believe that this has happened. And it continued and continued. And I couldn't talk to anyone about it. I just I didn't know what was happening. I felt like it was my fault. I mean, he was saying it was my fault. He was calling me names. I mean, everything, even if there was traffic, it was my fault, <laughs> you know? Anything that upset him, it was just like me and between the verbal abuse and between um, the physical. I mean, even locking me in the bathroom or, you know, having a knife out, you know, or 
hitting me. Now, just for context, uh, for anyone who's listening, I'm about almost 4'11", so a little bit under that. And I, I weigh in the 70s. I'm very petite, right? He He's six feet tall, two, 220 pounds at the time, right? So there was a big difference between our sizes. So him being physical with me, there, I mean, it's not even like I could defend myself, right? Um, I also didn't work out at the time, right? So it was just like, there was no defense. So about five months later, I also, so we got married in December, around May, I also found out that he uh, was cheating, right? And there was just a lot happening. And so I left and I went to my parents' house and I stayed there for a bit and I couldn't really tell them what happened. Um, I told them about like the other woman and, um, and I, I, I actually went to his parents first, but they were just like, no, uh, you had a wonderful wedding. Um, and I think some, some stuff had happened with his parents and his mom said to me, I lived with it, with my mouth quiet. You need to also. So it was all again, my fault. Now I hadn't contacted my parents. I had contacted his parents because I didn't want to bring shame. Uh, I was still protective of him. So. At some point, I had to tell my parents, too, because I couldn't live like this anymore. And I went to my parents' house. I stayed there for a few weeks. And I told them that there was something going on with other women, but I couldn't tell them about the abuse. Again, I just didn't know how to. I just, um, yeah, I, I just kept feeling like it was my fault, like I deserved it. And it wasn't something I had ever experienced before. Um, so we got back together. I went back. Do you, uh, sorry. Yeah, um, I just wanted to ask you, Abby, I mean, you have experienced the, the moment that lasts for months, sometimes for years, mm -hmm. where you are hiding in plain sight when you are keeping your mouth shut, when you are protecting your abuser, when you don't know any better, yeah. you don't dare to break the silence. Yeah. My question for you, and that is really with the audience in mind that I'm asking that. What happened when you broke the silence, when you said it, and you started to raise, not only a bro, but really to break that silence? Yeah, I mean, it, it took a while. Uh, you know, when I went back, you know, we tried anger management, we tried counseling. I even thought, let me get pregnant because then he'll, he won't hit me for like nine months. But at one point, one night, it, it just got out of control and he pinned me down and choked me and I almost died. And I had left, I had to call the police and I couldn't go back anymore because I was like, I'm in danger. And if I, I might not live. And if I have kids, they're gonna be in danger too. They'll see it. So I, I left and we had a very messy divorce and, um, and I kept finding myself in relationships like that again. And that was the hard part. And even though I had broken my silence, like you asked, right? I never really divulged all the details 
they knew that it, there was abuse, but I couldn't really say anything like of what happened. I wasn't ready to. It was almost like, I don't know, I wanted to disconnect from it and put it under the rug and just deal with the divorce and moving on with my life. Uh, but I kept finding myself in those relationships, again, abusive. And so I had continued the cycle. And, but I was, like, thriving. I felt like I was thriving. Um, I, I had this amazing apartment in Manhattan. I was, had all these friends. I was going out. And I felt like I was strong. I got another, I got a second master's degree and then a great job. And, you know, I was traveling the world. I, I went to Africa by myself, you know, um, I, I did all these things I was so proud of. And I also came out of my shell. I, I started to speak up. I was like uh, a leader in many ways, even at work. And um, so I thought I was over it. But um, 10 years, late, you know, not 10 years, but like, you know, in my late 30s, I got into another relationship that was um, like, again, abusive. Now, I knew I right after the right after my marriage, I got into a very abusive relationship where he assaulted me and I, I got a, a head injury that was really bad, like a concussion. So I, I took a break for a while. But now in my late 30s, I get into another relationship where he was very narcissistic, very mentally abusive. And once I realized that, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and it was almost like I was embarrassed to again say, this is how he's treating me because it's embarrassing. Why am I doing the same thing that I was doing 10 years ago? So I was silent again about the abuse because, I mean, I should have learned my lesson. And the common denominator is me. I could blame the guy. Yes, of course, what they were doing is wrong. But I was clearly doing something, too. <laughs> so again, I stayed silent. Um, and... You know, eventually I got a job here in Los Angeles and I, I moved out here and I thought, OK, I'm going to end it. I'm going to break this um, cycle by just moving away. But you don't because it's inside of me. Yes, it is. It is. It is. There is a huge, there is a deep healing and transformation that happens Mm -hmm. when you want to change your point of attraction. What you mentioned as being your responsibility is you, you are your own point of attraction. And this yeah. is where you take resp radical responsibility, which is good. Mm -hmm. But there is more to it. Yes, you have your own responsibility, but it is rooted in trauma. Mm -hmm. And even if the trauma is all comes from the first abusive marriage. It is still an actual real trauma that you did experience in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. And this is, and as long as that is not addressed, dealt with, understood, released, forgiven, it keeps on coming back. Even if it started later in life, even if your your your, your childhood sounds um, like ideal, it's it's still the, the trauma started. It can be generational trauma from before that hit you, not in your direct uh, uh, mother father family, 
but later it can be that it can be that you you just you were available at the origin point when it started to just be nice just people please just go with the flow just allow things and no knowledge and this is what you mentioned at the beginning no education about relationships about mental health about anger about what is acceptable what is not about the spectrum of emotion mm -hmm. how we attract and how we repel experiences in our lives all those things we have to learn that but it's not necessarily taught from our parents or at school you have to discover other ways to learn these kind of things and in the meantime you may feel responsible but when you don't know you don't know how can you do better when you don't know except by starting to ask questions and be open to receive answers and start to discover more so Nari, mm -hmm. two questions for you but let's go one after another what is that shifting consciousness i understand in your story that you've realized that you are back in a form of domestic violence and that it is super super shameful and i understand that because i was there as well i'm 15 years two different relationships i know exactly what you talk about what is that shift there is a moment when you mm -hmm. just say you know what enough is enough yes indeed you said move to the centuries but still that shift where you do not allow domestic violence anymore yeah um you know i came here as i said and um you know i feel like i was such a badass in so many ways and like i'm like thriving except in a relationship i fell back into that little girl um, so I came here and then right after I came, the pandemic happened and I started to do, I, I finally started meditation, which I was very resistant to. And I started to work with this teacher who I still do every week now. And I started the healing process and I finally realized there's a difference between coping and healing. Now I was coping all those years, which meant I had to like get my life together. I had to move forward. I had to, you know, go to go back to school and do all these things, get a job and all that. But I didn't heal from it. It was still there. All those lessons I needed to learn. I was still in that cycle because yeah, that that violence becomes our comfort zone, and that's why we keep going back, right? So now I started that healing journey and that healing work, which also meant like, no, don't don't date, right? Don't do all those things. Don't engage in that and take alone time to really reflect and, you know, think about why why did all this happen and how am I going to stop it? And how do I just like forgive myself, right? So, yeah, when once I started to learn that, I have that shift in consciousness and he kept coming back. Right. And I think it was like the last time he came back that I, I was like, no, absolutely not. I am powerful and strong and you don't deserve this. And um, I don't know. I just felt like, yes, you are not in control. I am in control here. 
And that's when I knew I healed. And I, yeah, I took back my power. That's gorgeous. When you are able to state who you are, what you choose, and it's not what your abuser is asking you. Yeah. And you state your ground. Don't care about any hissy fit you can get in return or burst of anger or emotion or blackmailing or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You can just look at that and say, yeah, you know what? I'm happy without you. To be yeah. in a couple, you have to be too. I'm not there. Bye-bye. And I feel like that's how it is now in any situation. Like, A, I can stay calm, even as a New Yorker. Like, you know, <laughs> I can always, like, you know, nothing really bothers me. I feel like I'm always, like, in control. Like, I'm fine. But, like, even meeting people, it's just, like, I am the one choosing, is this something that I want to be in? Rather than feeling like, oh, is this some place that I am belonging in, right? Totally. Yeah. Wow. This is a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for breaking the silence. Mm -hmm. I know it's later on. We are, we, we are quite a few years later. You said about 10 years later, right? Yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> it does take some time for real. I know that for, for many years after 2013, when I, I broke free from violence, it took me many years to accept, to say my story, to tell my story. That was a long, a long journey. Because you have to trust that you're going to be received. It's going to inspire and uplift. And it's not going to, um, to backfire. You're actually going to be embraced and being hugged and being supported and being admired. That is what is actually going to happen. <laughs> but to trust that this is what's happening you have to go through a lot of layers of um, what are they going to say about me, you know, that kind of things. Yeah, that that was a lot um, because I had to deal with the backlash of the community. You know, there was like a lot and, and I didn't really listen. I was like, I have to rebuild my life. But when when my divorce happened, it was almost like I put it under the rug and I forgot you know, all those years. And then I had that other relationship that was very abusive. And it was so traumatic for me that I just put it under the rug. I disconnected from it. And I didn't even think that it was a part of my life. Again, I was just living my life. And here's one thing also, like in New York, you can stay very busy. There's so much going on. I know to forget I had to address it I couldn't run away anymore meditate mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. wow wow okay um that is very very valuable thank you for sharing so much value it's so so important I really value your story it's useful it's inspiring it shows one way out. Mm -hmm. And by inspiring, by showing one of the ways, you can actually 
get over that. And it passes through a big, scary moment when you don't know what's going to happen. Because it often feels safer to stay in the familiar rather than to believe and to discover the unfamiliar, especially when the familiar is trauma. The familiar is trauma and also, um, you know, being part of the first generation. And I don't know how, how many uh, people listening uh, can relate to this. Like, it, it was taboo to really get divorced. It was the woman who was blamed. I was blamed. And I know we've come a long way in my community where it's more acceptable to get divorced or the woman isn't blamed anymore as I see some of my friends and other girls who are being embraced and it's okay but at, back then it was not common and no matter what happened to me I was the one at fault and that was very difficult so I didn't blame other girls for not leaving it was actually it would have been better had I stayed because of all the other stuff that happened, but I had to do it. And I was lucky that my parents were so supportive. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a hard time. And I know in other cultures and communities that's faced too, that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. mm. So all of that experience, coupled with your two masters, coupled with your experience not only as a math teacher but then in leadership roles in undeserved schools tell us more about unstressified i absolutely love the name <laughs> uh tell, tell us more about your company unstressified sure um so it's pretty new but it's a stress management co coaching and consulting company uh, i work with individuals and also um organizations uh, for coaching and for speaking engagements and um, educational workshops to really empower people to use these strategies to have a better life essentially like reduce their stress and live better that's gorgeous mm -hmm. thank you for doing that because by teaching how to de-stress, how to cope and to deal with stress in a way that is healing more than hiding, mm -hmm. so that we can all tap into our fullest potential. That is a deeply transformative experience. Yeah. So thank you for leading that. Thank you for, for having that vision and bringing it to life. That's amazing. Yeah, Truly yeah. amazing. Thank you for the opportunity to share it. It's made such a difference in my life and the healing process. And I wanted to ensure that I brought it to others as well, because I, I couldn't have been here without it. And I want to make sure that I am able to pay it forward to other people as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This is actually why we are here and why we are talking about all of that. Wow. Narin, it has been a delight, a pleasure to be inspired by your story, to have you as a leader, an example of breaking free from abuse and from peer pressure, community pressure, which can be a, a, a strong, we can be a strong push or pull. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for having me and giving me the space to speak. It was very nice. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. And I look forward to speaking with you again very, very soon. Thank you.